from the Center for European Reform. This is the CER podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the CER podcast. My name is Sophia Besch. I'm a research fellow here at the Center for European Reform. And today I'm in conversation with John Springford, the CER's deputy director. Hi, John. Hello. So John and I are here to talk about the cost of Brexit for the British economy. In the run-up to the referendum on leaving the EU, Brexit supporters were very upset about what they called Project Fear, the warnings of economists and the broader Remain camp that the British economy would be worse off if Britain left. Now, two years after the referendum, the UK is already starting to see the effects of the vote. John, what's the cost of Brexit so far? Well, according to our estimate, it's um, 2.1%. The economy would be 2.1% bigger um, had we not voted to leave the EU. Um, and that translates into a bit of a hit to the public finances. Um, currently, um, uh, probably around 20 billion or around uh, 400 million a week. Right. Let's talk about that. <laughs> um, John in a really impactful recent paper, has done the modeling to calculate the true cost of Brexit so far. What was your motivation, John, for this analysis? What were you trying to achieve? Um, well, the first thing to do is to uh, admit my intellectual forebear, um, forebears, um, which are a group of economists um, uh, led by um, Benjamin Born, um, who's a German economist, who basically um, did the study that I did, and I have simply updated it, um, copying the work that they did, um, and taking it through to the uh, to the first quarter of 2018. They only did to the end of to the end of the third quarter of 2017. Essentially, the idea behind um, the analysis is that we use a computer program to try and work out who are the best controls that we can use to imagine what the UK economy would be like had we had we voted to remain in the EU. And the way that the computer program does that is it takes a pool of 36 OECD economies. Um, it looks at um, the evolution of their GDP over time up to the point of the referendum. And then it picks those countries whose GDP very closely matches that of the UK if you combine them together as a sort of one composite economy. Um, and then after the referendum, the programme extrapolates that fake UK, synthetic UK forward, um, and then it compares what the real outturn of the UK was. And this allows us to, to, to measure um, uh, in a, in a probably the best way that we can to measure what the impact of the vote has been. And we, we plan to continue to uh, update this as uh, the quarters roll on. And when you say it's probably the best way, there's been a lot of attempts to do this. Why is this model the, the best possible way to get there? Well, so there are uh, a couple of other ways that you can do it, um, both done by uh, uh, Chris Giles at the Financial Times. Um, he... The first way that he tries to do it is by taking the UK's historical growth rate and then just extrapolating that forward and saying, okay, how are we doing versus that? That gives you a figure that's much lower. Um, the problem with that method is that um, it doesn't take account of the fact that 2017 was a bit of a banner year for the global economy. So you would expect the UK to be doing better than its historical growth rate in that year. Um, so you end up inevitably with a smaller 
figure than might actually be the case. A smaller figure of loss. A, a smaller figure of loss, exactly. Um, the other way of doing it is by, say, comparing the UK to the G7 economies. Um, but the problem with that is it's quite an arbitrary control group. It's just that they're the biggest economies. There's no underlying reason why we should compare them compare the UK specifically to those seven countries. So this this program tries to find a way to, to find the best possible comparator group for the UK and then work out the cost uh, by comparing the UK to that group. Okay, great. This has been, I think it's really wonkish. good that you, <laughs> no, it's been wonkish, but it's been really, really clear and it, it gives us a good basis of understanding. But now let's talk about what that number actually means and mm. let's talk about the impact of this number of, of growth lost mm -hmm. and what that lost growth means for UK public finances mm -hmm. and you also talk in your paper about how much extra borrowing Britain will have to do because of this. Yeah, I took um, the government's own analysis which if you might remember was leaked um, I think to BuzzFeed uh, several months ago and then Parliament forced them to publish it. Um, the government's own analysis of what the costs of different models of Brexit would be. In that analysis they uh, also did a, a cost to the public finances of each of those models. Um, and this was based on a pretty detailed analysis of the taxes raised in different sectors of the economy and how you know the Brexit options would, would damage those uh, uh, that, those taxes. Um, and their analysis found that 1% of lost GDP growth results in about 11 billion of extra borrowing. So I simply just went, well, we've got 2.1% and that adds up to 23 billion of extra borrowing um, on an annualized basis. And on a weekly basis, that means 440 million a week, which is obviously a fun <laughs> figure because it's more than the 350 million a week lie, which was uh, uh, bandied around in the campaign. Right. Let's talk about what this means for things like the NHS, for example. I mean, the, uh, the thing to say, well, the first thing to say about all of this is that we haven't left the EU yet. Um, we don't know what the outcome will be. If it's a very soft outcome, EEA plus a customs union, which is basically the same as being an EU member, then you could imagine that the economy would roar back. Or, well, roar back is the wrong phrase, but, you know, would bounce back a bit because the uncertainty would be lifted and there wouldn't be really any change, economically speaking. Um, if, on the other hand, we had no deal, then we're talking about chaos um, and probably... I find it hard to believe that there wouldn't be a recession under that scenario. Um, Even though we have now learned that there will definitely be food, adequate yeah, resources yes, exactly. of food. Yeah, well, which, which, is a, which is a relief. Um, uh, so there's a very wide range of impacts in the long run. Um, and the idea behind this model is to think about, um, is to try and have a sort of update, constant update of how we're doing, tra tracked against um, some of the modelling that has been done. Um, and just before the referendum and, and after, and just have a think about actually who's right. Um, and so far, it seems as though Project Fear um, has been closer to the truth than people like economists for Brexit who say it was all going to be rosy and mm. um, actually the UK was going to grow um, immediately after the referendum. Mm. So in this podcast, you've also wanted to talk a bit about some of the more thoughtful criticism that you've received up after publishing the paper what have you learned in the month i think it's been since you've put it out well i, I won't name the people that gave me their gave me their criticism because they haven't said um that i could use their names but um 
just some just some helpful thoughts about how to um, improve the modelling, which are probably a bit too wonkish to go into here, but I, I will explain in a note um, for the uh, for the next uh, update to the uh, to the model. Um, but just to say that um, essentially, I've been using a wider range of um, ways to compare the UK economy against the. Uh, donor pool of 36 OED, OECD economies. That's one response to a criticism. Another is that I'm going to try a model where we take out some of the poorer countries that are in the group. So Hungary, which is um, part of the synthetic UK mm. group, um, would be removed from the model and then just see how that makes a difference to, mm. to the numbers. I mean, I've done some of this already and there hasn't been a huge change to our around 2% figure, um, but it's important to get this right because over time we don't want to end up in a situation where we have an absurd result um, based upon modelling failure. Of course. Uh, um, yeah. So yeah, so I will I will explain more in a, in a note uh, when the next update comes out. Okay, great. And when will that be? Um, I have to remember the exact date when the last of the Q2 data comes out. I believe it's the end of August, so hopefully I'll have an update in early September. So we'll do quarterly updates and we'll check back in on the podcast as well. That sounds good. Great. Thank you, John. Thanks for listening to the CER podcast and thanks to Beth Oppenheim, our editor. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud and follow us on Twitter, CER underscore EU.